And this month, we're going to be looking at the book of Romans on Sunday mornings. We're going to be looking at the book of Romans and seeing what it tells us about our Christianity. Uh, A lot of you can think back to when you were little. Uh, If you were like me, you remember the commercial... Uh, the Nest Tea commercial. Do you remember the old Nest Tea commercial where the where the guy was, you know, he's fully dressed and he's standing beside a beside a swimming pool and he takes the Nest Tea plunge. Do you remember that? He, he falls backward, fully dressed into the swimming pool. And you can remember that. Uh, and, and remember times in your life where it was probably really, really hot and you may have jumped in the creek and or, or did a cannonball into the swimming pool on a on a really hot day. Well, that's what we're going to do with Romans. Martin Luther said that Romans was shallow enough for a baby to wade in, but deep enough for a man to drown in. And so what we're going to look at, we're going to jump in to Romans today and this month and see what we can see. Find what we can find. We're going to swim around. We're going to wade in and and swim around. And we're going to improve our swimming capabilities. And we're going to uh, understand a little bit better about this great letter to the Romans. It's, it's almost unanimous and overwhelming agreement that Paul, the apostle, he wrote the letter to the Romans around 57 AD. Uh, if you get a chance, and I'm going to show it here on the screen in just a minute, if you get a chance, I've given an outline of what we're going to be talking about all month long. And the outline, you'll see uh, the majority of it today here on the screen, but you can pick one of those up on the table outside and you can be better prepared for what we're going to talk about this month. Uh, But Paul, he wrote this to Roman Christians around 57 A.D., give or take a few years. This is uh, the same Paul who, in Acts chapter 7, he held the coats uh, of the Jews who were stoning Stephen, who killed Stephen. It's the same Paul who, on his way to kill more Christians... In Damascus, in the city of Damascus, he was blinded by the Lord Jesus. And he was told to meet a man in Damascus named Ananias who would, who would tell Paul what he must do. Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. And Ananias, he comes to Paul in Acts chapter 9. And Paul's sight is restored. You can read there. And Ananias, by Paul's account, said in Acts chapter 22 verse 16. Now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Paul did just that immediately after he was baptized. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, Paul preached that Jesus was the Son of God. He started preaching the gospel to the lost. Paul went as a missionary to many different places, many different places, and wrote letters. And one of the places that he visited was Corinth. He visited the city of Corinth. And he helped establish the church there. And Paul wrote what we call 2 Corinthians. We have in our, in our Bibles, we have the letter of 1 Corinthians. We have the letter of what we call 2 Corinthians. And it's telling Christians there that he's, he's coming to get the collection. He's coming to get the collection that he told them to go ahead and start setting aside. He told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, to go ahead and start setting this collection aside. So when I come, you won't have to, you won't have to be running around. And you're supposed to do this on the first day of the week. That's the reason we take up the collection on the first day of the week as well. And he tells them in in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, uh, that this this collection that they had gathered, he's going to come and and pick this up. And most scholars say that while he was collecting this offering 
in Corinth, that's when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, to the church in Rome, to the Christians in Rome. This was Paul's third missionary journey. He had not yet been to Rome yet. He had not been, he hadn't been to Rome yet. But when, within seven or eight years of him writing this letter to the Romans, Paul was going to be there twice. And he was going to be executed in about eight years from the, from the, from the writing of this letter. An anonymous 4th century Latin commentator whom scholars have given this, the wild name of Ambrosiaster. Okay? Ambrosiaster. How they came up with that name, I don't know. I, for an anonymous person, it's as good a name as any. But he said of the Romans at the time of Paul, Ambrosiaster said this, The Romans had embraced the faith of Christ, albeit according to the Jewish rite, although they saw no sign of the mighty works nor any of the apostles. Now, the mighty works and the apostles were seen by someone who lived in Rome for Christianity to have already been there when Paul writes... uh, uh, the, the letter to the Romans. And the majority of scholars point to, if you look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2 and verse 10, where on the day of Pentecost, hearing the first gospel sermon, it says, if you'll notice in, in verse 10 of Acts, Acts 2, there were visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Now, uh, proselytes, if you remember from, from Sammy's class, proselytes are those uh, who weren't born Jews, but they became Jews, but they weren't born Jews. They were, they were proselytes. They were followers of God. And it's those who were from Rome, the Jews and proselytes, that would have become Christians. It says there that they would have also been part of the crowd who heard Peter preach the, the gospel that day in Acts chapter 2 and asked what to do in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, asked what they should do, and, and Peter would have told them in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 to, to repent and be baptized. It's these same Christians from Rome. I mean, these same Jews and proselytes from Rome who would have gone back to Rome as Christians. Some Romans must have been part of that 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 and were added to the church, Acts chapter 2 verse 47. Jews had been in Rome for more than 100 years by by this time, by the writing of Romans in, 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 in AD 57. A few years before this, the emperor Claudius uh, decided that the Jews were, were causing trouble in Rome. And he, de- he decided to expel the Jews because of all the trouble they were causing. And this is where Paul would have met Aquila and Priscilla. They, they were Romans and, and they, they had moved from Rome and, and Paul would have met them, uh, this Christian couple in Corinth. F.F. F. Bruce uh, a Christian writer, he writes, Priscilla and Aquila, who had left Italy because of Claudius's edict of expulsion shortly before they met Paul in Corinth, appear to have been Christians already. Paul nowhere calls them his children in the Lord or implies in any, in any way that they were converts of his. They and other Jews and Christians were obviously back in Rome when Paul decides to write them from Corinth because he greets Aquila and Priscilla, he he greets them in Romans chapter 16 verse 3 by name. Now Paul writes this letter with with the secretarial help as we can read in in Acts, excuse me, Romans chapter 16 from Tertius, uh, excuse me, from Tertius. Uh, Paul's 
this was Paul's secretary. It was what we call, it's a fancy word called emenuensis. He was the guy that Paul dictated what he wanted to write and, 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 and Tertius would have written it down. Uh, you've seen on, uh, on, on the TV, you've seen that uh, program Dragon. Have you ever seen that? You know, you can speak into your computer, into a microphone, and it types it for you. That would be pretty cool to have, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to type. You wouldn't have to spell. You wouldn't have to do anything. All you would have to do is speak. And that's what the dragon program does for you. Well, that's what Paul's amenuensis did for him here in Romans. Paul spoke it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this man wrote it down. Most scholars agree that Phoebe, who's mentioned in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Phoebe, she delivered the letter from Corinth to Rome. You know, there was no post office at the time. There was no UPS. There was no FedEx. So to, to get a letter from one place to another, well, you gave it to somebody who was going that way. All right? And so that's what was happening there, and that's how the, how the, the, uh, the Romans got the letter. Rome uh, contains a, a comprehensive, logical presentation of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that this month as we study Romans. With just the book of Romans, just the book of Romans, one could be converted to Christ. If, if, you, if, if, all, if the only book you had was Romans, you could convert someone to Christ. Martin, uh, Martin Luther, excuse me, uh, the theologian Augustine, he was converted by reading Romans. So with Romans, we can be converted. Many believe that Romans teaches that one is saved by faith and they add a word, alone. Saved by faith, alone. Martin Luther was, was very right when he said that, that Romans was shallow enough for a baby to wade in and deep enough for a man to drown in. But he's the one that actually added the word by faith alone is one saved. And we're going to look at that here in just a, just, just a minute as well. Now, if they mean by faith alone that uh, the totality of obedience are certainly right. But we'll look at that here in just a minute. Rome, Romans begins by Paul saying in verse 1, if you'll turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, that he was called to be an apostle by Jesus and separated to the gospel of God. And then look down at verse 5, it says he was appointed... Paul, verse 5, was appointed to be an apostle for obedience to the faith. So the letter begins with the words grace. The letter begins with the words obedience. The, the letter begins with the words uh, uh, faith and, and salvation. The key phrase that we're going to find as we go throughout Romans here, the key phrase, and I'm going to show it to you in just a minute, is the phrase, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. All through Romans, you, it talks about the righteousness of God and how important that is in the life of those who are not Christians and those who are Christians. That God is right, that God is moral, that God is just, that there is no falsehood in God, there's no changing in God. God is righteous, as Paul's point. Here in Romans. Romans can be divided, as you see on the screen, Romans can be divided into two sections, doctrinal and, and behavioral. All right? In, in chapters 1 through 11, 
We have the teachings of Paul, and these are teachings, these are doctrines that we should obey, and these are doctrines that we should uh, believe, and these are doctrines that will, uh, will bring one to Jesus Christ. That these are doctrines that if you follow these doctrines and you obey these doctrines, they'll, they'll save your soul from, from hell. And then, after you're a Christian, we see from, from chapters 12 through 16, we see, all right, you're a Christian now, this is how you're supposed to act. This is how you're supposed to behave. And so we see both of those distinctions here, and we'll, we'll, we'll expand upon those as we go out throughout the month. Uh, Paul tells the Roman Christians, this is what you need to know, and this is how you need to act. In this sermon series, we'll understand the revelation of God's righteousness. In chapters 1 through 8, we'll understand the justification of God's righteousness. In chapters 9 through 11... And we'll understand the application of God's righteousness in chapters 12 through 16. First, we'll understand that man, well, man has a sin problem. Man has a sin problem. Man has a sin problem that has, has to be overcome. Somehow or another, we've got to get past this sin problem. This is the condition that man must come in to receive God's righteousness for only God can save man. Which He will. He will do it if you love Him enough to obey Him. We want schools to be accredited. We want banks to be accredited. We want doctors to be accredited. And and God's salvation is the accreditation of His righteousness. And it's through sanctification of God's ability to make us holy and set us apart to do His will that God's righteousness is is demonstrated. God's righteousness is justified in the sovereignty of His rule and His kingdom and His people. We'll see how the church is the new Israel. We'll see, we'll look as Paul writes in the context of his day of Israel's past election. We'll see as he writes of, of, of about how they rejected God and that, and that his holy law uh, they, they rejected. The children of Israel did. But how now we are that future restoration of the chosen people. We, the church, are Israel. We'll be taught in the first 11 chapters what we need to know, but in, the, in chapters 12 through 16, we'll be taught what we need to do as Christians and what we need to do to believe as children of God. We apply God's righteousness to the world around us through service, we'll see. And we apply God's righteousness to the world around us by Christian duties and Christian liberties that are involved in that service. Paul ends the letter just as he began the letter in God's eternal plan of salvation. The gospel it has its desire, it has its, its end, obedience to the faith. Faith plus obedience equals salvation. And that's another theme that we're going to see throughout the book of Romans. Not just faith alone, but faith Plus obedience equals salvation. You can't just believe. You've got to believe and obey to be saved. In the gospel, we are established 
we are founded, if you will. Uh, you know, if, 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 if you see a building and it says established 1921, well, you understand that that, that that business, that building, that cornerstone was set at that particular time. That's when the building was established. That's when the, when the company was established. When were you established? When was the righteousness of God established? How can you be established if you don't know? That's what we're going to find out this month in the book of Romans. We find this out, if you will, we find out a mystery. This mystery is revealed. Notice in Romans 16, verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. How are we established? How are we established? By, by according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest by the prophetic scripture, has been made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith. One can't just believe and be saved, in other words. One can't just ask Jesus to come to his heart and be saved. One must obey to be saved. And obey not just anything. Obey not just anything, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what one must obey to be saved. I have no power to save you. I can't do anything to save you. Nobody here has the power to save you. But we learn here in Romans chapter 1 that God's power to save, Romans chapter 1 verse 16, is the gospel. You know, if you're hanging, if you're hanging your hat on Matt, if you're hanging your hat on, on Brother Parker, if you're hanging your hat on Carrie Poole, you're hanging your hat on the wrong person. We've got, to put, we've got to put God first and obedience to His Word first. It's God's Word. It's God's truth. If you hang your hat on your husband or you hang your hat on your wife or you hang your salvation on your children, you should be ashamed. But Paul says, Romans chapter, 16, Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Notice, for it is the power of God to salvation. Notice, to everyone. Everyone. That, is, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't discount anybody, does it? That includes everybody who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Notice, for in it, and here's our phrase, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the goodness that God will never leave us, that God will never forsake us, all that is revealed in the righteousness of God in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's revealed from faith to faith and is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now what Paul called the faith in verse 5, he now calls the gospel. This is what Paul preached. This is what men are to obey. Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 10 here in, in Romans. Excuse me. He, he quotes Deuteronomy here in Romans chapter 10 verse 8. But what does it say in Deuteronomy? The word is near you 
in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's get some nods and some heads just a minute. Do you have to confess Jesus Christ before others to be saved? Is that something that you have to do? Yes, it is. If you confess Jesus Christ, what's it say? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, wait a minute. I thought you had to, you didn't have to, wait a minute. I thought you just said we had to confess to be saved. It's saying there that you've got to believe to be saved. What's the difference? Well, let me show you. We're going to look at it. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Now, whoever noticed, wait a minute. You've got to confess and you've got to believe to be saved. There's two different things, confession and believing. Wait, what's it say? For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I've just told you. I told you way back when we talked about Paul and his conversion and when Ananias told him. What did Ananias tell him in Acts chapter 22 verse 16? What did he say? He said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord in baptism will be saved. That's what he's talking about. How then shall they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But, notice, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. There are many of you out there who have heard this time and time and time and time again. Why haven't you obeyed it? Not all have heard this who have heard this have obeyed it. That's what he's saying right there. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, my mom just had bunion surgery. Her feet aren't very pretty right now. Her feet aren't pretty feet right now. But I've got beautiful feet. I've got pretty feet. Because I'm bringing you the gospel of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of the one who brings the gospel. I'm telling you what you need to do to be saved, church. I'm telling you how you can go out into the world and tell others. We should never be ashamed of the gospel and we should never, ever, ever not want to tell it. We should never get mad at the preacher because he says it over and over and over again. I have no power to save you. The song leader has no power to save you. 
You have no power to save you. But God's power to save you is the gospel. It's the gospel that's got to be believed. It's the gospel that's got to be obeyed. Faith plus obedience equals salvation. Exactly. Because I'm telling you the gospel, the truth, God's power to save. Calling on the name of the Lord means hearing God's word, believing God's word, and obeying God's word. That's what it means. Paul uses a great example from the Old Testament to show us how how to jump in. You know, uh, I mean, before you jumped into the swimming pool and did a cannonball, somebody had to show you what a cannonball was. You remember, remember the first time you ever did a cannonball and you grabbed both legs and you jumped in or, or did a preacher seat? Do you ever remember doing a preacher seat? You ever, you'd cover your face like this because I, I guess it was symbolizing baptism or something. You jumped in feet first. You ever remember doing one of those? You didn't know what one of those was until somebody showed you. Gave you an example, okay? Paul uses a great example from the Old Testament. Okay, We're not under the Old Testament anymore, but he uses a good example here in Romans that shows us how to jump in. Shows us that faith plus obedience equals salvation. Paul uses Abraham in, in chapter 4 as an example of one who was a sinner, but his faith was reckoned for righteousness. Notice with me, Romans chapter 4 verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father has has found according to the flesh? But if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Abraham was obedient. But Abraham was not justified or declared free of blame because of his works. You cannot work your way to heaven. You can't work your way there. It was, it, was, it, was, it was declared, he was declared, he was not declared free of blame because of his works, as, but as a matter of debt, we can see that again from Galatians chapter 3 verse 11. The just shall live by faith, it says. Abraham was justified by faith as a matter of grace. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says of Abraham that he believed the Lord and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Abraham's obedience did not nullify God's grace. Because Abraham obeyed, that did not nullify God's grace. Because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8, Abraham obeyed by faith. Faith plus obedience equals salvation. Notice Romans chapter 4. Skip down to verse 22. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Oh, the justification of God's righteousness. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful blessing it is 
to stand here and know that I have peace with the most powerful being in the universe. To know that, that God and I are okay. He's, that I'm saved. What a blessing it is to know that. It's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. Because all by all rights, someone like myself should not be saved. By all rights, someone like me should spend an eternity in hell. But God, by His amazing grace, saves me. Romans chapter 3. Verse 23, you're in the same boat. For all have sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, the the payment by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. Again, there's that that phrase again, God's righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's the justifier of you who have faith in Jesus Christ. Where's the boasting then? Where's the boasting then? It is excluded By what law? Of works? Of works that we've done? No. By the law of faith. Faith plus obedience equals salvation. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Again, I've said, while Martin Luther was quite right to comment on the depth of Romans, he was so most most certainly not right to add only hereafter faith in verse 28. That's what he does. He says, faith only. Man is justified by faith only apart from the law. From that has sprung damnable heresies. That all I've got to do is ask Jesus Christ to come in my heart and be saved. Wrong. Find that for me in the Holy Scriptures. Find that for me in the Bible. Tell me where I'm wrong. It's just not there. It's not there. And when you're faced with that truth and when you're faced with those possibilities, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do when you find out what you've, what you've been taught all these years and all your life is, is wrong? You're going to have to obey the truth to be saved. You have to. These pretty feet are just pretty enough to tell you that. That's not what the text says. Notice, it's not by obedience. It's not the obedience. It's, it's not the obedience by faith that's excluded. Notice what's excluded. It's the works of the law, including the Ten Commandments. It's the works of the law which are excluded. We're all sinners. We all sin. So thank God He does not require perfection. 
as a grounds of justification. But he does require the obedience of faith. And by his grace, we have redemption. We are repossessed from the darkness into the light. In Christ Jesus, we learn this great truth here. We notice this great truth here. One must be in Christ Jesus to be redeemed. You've got to be in Christ. You've got to be in Christ to be saved. Until one is in Christ, until one is inside of Christ, they're outside of Christ. That's logical, isn't it? If one's not in Christ, then they're outside Christ. That's logical. How does one, like I am, I'm in Christ. How does one like me, how does one like many of you who are, who are in Christ, how does, one, who, who, how does one who's outside of Christ get into Christ? Notice Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were believed into Christ. No, that's what it said. Or do you not know that as many of us as were prayed into Christ. No, that's not what it says. What's it say? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Here we see God's power to save. Here we see the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4, The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus was seen by hundreds after His death. And when you are raised from the waters of baptism, you are to be seen to walk in newness of life. Church, how's that going for you? Those of you who are Christians, those of you who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, do people see you walking in newness of life? When they see you, do they think Christ? We see this passage. How to obey the gospel that that saves. It's the gospel that saves. It's, It's the gospel that's God's power to save. Notice... No matter, notice, no matter what you do here on down in chapter 6, no matter what you do, you're a slave to something. You're going to be a slave to something. When you walk out this door today, you're going to be a slave to something. Notice what you can be a slave to. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that you are the, that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What form of doctrine? A form of doctrine if you just got through telling us about in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. When you obeyed that doctrine, notice, you've been set free from sin and you're a slave of righteousness. That's what we want to be. We want to be slaves of righteousness. We want to be a part of the righteousness of God, yeah, that's what we want to be a part of. God's righteousness. This is the goal to be obtained and is obtained when the gospel is obeyed from the heart. 
our souls, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, are purified and obeying the truth. Not obeying a misunderstanding, obeying the truth through the Spirit. Born again, he says, by the incorruptible seed of God's Word. Paul, Jesus, and Peter, they all agree. You must be born again, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3. Now, we have jumped into Romans this morning. We've jumped into Romans, and it's my hope this month that you'll look at Romans closer, that you'll study the whole book this month, and be ready when I, when I come with the sermons this month as presented this morning. You'll look at Romans closer in your private study and see the gospel presented in its context. In a book that if you just took it by itself, you could obey the gospel. We've, we've waited in. This month we're going we're to swim a few laps. We're going to jump into this book of Romans. This great epistle written by Paul. You've heard the gospel today too. You've heard the gospel today. You may have heard it before. If you've been here ever, you have. (laughs) If you've ever been here, you've heard the gospel many times. Are you ready to obey today? One more passage in Romans. We'll end. Romans 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And I hope this is not a set of you, but, but, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who are rendered to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, is that you? And do not obey the truth. Will will that be you today? But obey unrighteousness. Notice, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek and also to you. If you will obey, obey, obey today. Come right now, together we stand and sing.